today. Excited to jump in to Philippians chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible to there. Hope you have your scripture journal. We're going to be finishing our series in Philippians today. And before we do that, I want to jump, uh, I want to let you know some things that are coming up real quick. Number one, you should have this card in your seat. Uh, Our series next month is called The Instructions of Reconstruction. And basically its aim is to help those of you or those of the friends that you know that are so-called deconstructing their faith, that are leaving behind some important elements of what they once believed, or many of you maybe, or many of your friends questioning the very core of what you've been taught uh, and trying to figure out how to rebuild a life and rebuild a worldview um, with what beliefs. The idea here is that brick by brick, every one of us is building a life, and every brick has a belief behind it. And what we want to do is address, man, is that belief sure? Where does that belief come from? And to help you think through what does God say, and then what does the world say, and how do we navigate these things? And so we hope to answer some of the most important questions in life. Some of the questions maybe some of you or some of your friends and family are very skeptical about Christianity. Uh, We would love to dive deep into those things. So for the next month, there's a bunch of these invitations in the back. So you have one on your seat. Go grab five, grab ten, invite your friends, invite your neighbors. Uh, We're going to deal with one of main, some of the main objections that people have uh, these days towards Christianity, towards Jesus. And so I know it's going to be super helpful. As well, on June 12th, We're going to have a City Light Conference where we're going to talk about these things as well more in depth. At the conference, we're actually going to help you think biblically about the signs you see in everybody's yard. Maybe you have one as well where it says, in this house, we believe, blank, blank, blank. Uh, That's basically the mantra of the world. And so we want to help you understand biblically what can we affirm, what must we deny, how do we think as God would have us think about these issues that many of you may may be personally struggling with. To understand, man, what does God really say about this? I don't, I'm not really sure anymore. Or maybe your friends or your family are really struggling with this. So we want to help you uh, build a firm foundation, uh, build a life on top of a firm foundation of God's word. And so that's for the next month. We're even going to include these topics at our leadership cohorts, which happen every Thursday night after Restore at 7.30. And so every avenue we have to teach um, our church some of the basics of these things, how to navigate cultural issues, what does the Bible say about some of these hot topics. We're going to be doing that all the month of June. So please come, please bring your friends um, and be equipped so that you can have these kind of conversations. And maybe for many of you and your friends and family, be reaffirmed uh, or come to God's conclusion on some of these issues that are pressing in our society. I also want to remind you, celebrate week, June 21st through 26th. We're going to celebrate our city by serving our city. It's going to be an awesome time. All hands on deck. We're even asking you to take off work at some times. Uh, sports camp is running all week long. We need coaches and servant leaders to come support that. That's at night, 5 to 8. Many of you can bring your own kids, bring your neighborhood kids. Uh, we would love to serve our community that way. On Saturday, we'll be running a bunch of block parties. There'll be more information about how to be a part of that. Uh, and there'll be a lot of things going on during the day, during the week. And so we'll be continuing to roll out some more specifics. Mark that off in your calendar if it's still available to you, June 21st through June 26th. There will be something day and night, and we're basically going to overwhelm us, our city with the love of Jesus. And so we're really excited about that. Make it a priority to do that with us. So today, our last sermon in Philippians chapter 4, our last sermon in this series, is called The Practice of Peace. The Practice of Peace. The Practice of Peace. I'm reminded of the great Allen Iverson once saying, we talking about practice, not the game. Practice, not the game. And as I think through what he meant, and maybe some of you have no idea what I just referred to, as an NBA player who was basically really good and frustrated that some people were knocking him about his practice habits because every time he would perform in the game. And so he was like, why do you care about how I practice if I'm still putting up 30 a game? It shouldn't matter to you how I practice. And so that's, that's kind of uh, what we're after this morning is to think through uh, the game matters. The game's what really matters. And for us spiritually, what we're talking about today, the experience of peace come crunch time, the experience of contentment when life is difficult, having the right feelings at the right time, and having the right behavior at the right time come game time, those are the things that matter. You want the experience of peace when you need it most. But what we're going to see that's true to life, both with athletics and spirituality, is that you get out what you put in, and it's the daily habits and choices that you make that make you ready for the big moments of life. 
Oftentimes, we try to perform without practice. We try to have spiritual results without spiritual work. We try to rise to the occasion in the moment without the small occasions of getting ready before the moment. And what you're able to handle in the moment, come game time, will be a direct result to the amount of practice you've put in. Spiritually, we would say it this way, your experience of peace will be in proportion to your practice of peace. Your experience of peace will be in proportion to your practice of peace. And God is offering you a supernatural, life-changing peace this morning. And he offers that to you really every day. And the question is, have you been practicing? Are you positioned and ready to walk in it, to receive it? So that's what we're looking at this morning. Let's go ahead and read chapter 4 as we get started. Verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent and worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So we're going to stop there and we'll finish the rest of the chapter near the end. But as we consider what is Paul really saying here, I want you to think through this equation that we see from verses 8 and 9. Is that think plus practice equals peace. Think about these things. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Think plus practice equals peace. Now some of you are trying to be at peace without proactive effort to determine what you think and what you practice You want the output without the input. And today we're going to learn that that's simply impossible. And some of you are seeking an experience without putting in the practice. And the Lord wants to help you develop habits of life that lead to the results come game time that you're looking for, and namely that he's looking for. So I want to help for a second. Before we get into these practices, I want to help motivate you as to this kind of peace. Sometimes the word peace can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What's the substance of peace? The first thing I want you to see about this spiritual peace, the peace from God, is that it's a supernatural, not circumstantial peace. This should motivate you because most of your peace comes from the outcomes of your circumstances. And when the circumstances go bad, the peace goes away. But God wants to give you something more stable something, matter of fact, supernatural. This is why Paul says in verse 7, it is a peace that surpasses understanding. You cannot understand it. It doesn't add up. It's not logically deducible. It doesn't actually make sense for this kind of peace to be available, especially in the moments when it comes. The world simply cannot understand it. You cannot force it. You cannot manipulate it. You cannot logically Add one plus one to get to it. It is a peace that surpasses understanding. It is a supernatural God peace that he wants to give you day in and day out. The reason this is so, verse 7, it is the peace of God. Because verse 9, it comes from the God of peace. It's the peace of God because it comes from the God of peace. And here's what I want you to understand first and foremost is that real peace, at its essence, is the peace of his presence. Hear me. Peace is not something God gives. It's something God is. 
Peace is not just something God gives. It's something God is. And so now, as you learn to relate to your creator, as you learn to engage the person of God, as you learn to draw near to him and he draws near to you, when God comes down to you, so does peace. When you meet with God, you're meeting with peace in Christ Jesus, if you are a part of his family. Peace is not just something God gives, it's something God is. Jesus was prophesied as the Prince of Peace. And so many of us sometimes try to get something from God without ever going to God. And I want you to make sure that you're not going after the gift more than the giver, because here's what happens when we want something from God without God, we go after the gift and we don't get it. Neither do we get the giver. When we go to the giver, God himself, we get him and everything that he is. So as we talk about peace today, I want you to first understand, those of you who are in the room who are not followers of Jesus Christ, I am so glad that you're here. But the thing I'm about to speak of is only available in God. It is not accessible to you by a good sermon or by reading a good book. The only way you can get this peace is by receiving it in the name of Jesus. Trusting in him, turning from your own way, repenting from your sins, believing in his life, death, and resurrection for you. And when you get access to God, then you get access to peace. But before you have access to God, your attempts at peace are in vain. And I think those of you who are here, and all of us certainly when we've lived apart from God, realize that. There is no peace apart from God. It's not there. It doesn't exist. And so I hope to call you in today to a relationship with God so that you may have the very thing he wants you to have. Here's another aspect about this peace. Because as we look through chapter 4, this peace does some amazing things. It overcomes anxiety. This peace allows you to rejoice Always. This is the kind of peace that brings unity in the midst of conflict. This is the kind of peace that will fill your mind with thoughts that are wonderful and lovely instead of those that bother you and destroy you every day. This is the kind of peace that creates contentment in all circumstances. This is the kind of peace that allows you to be the type of person that overflows in generosity. This kind of peace gives you stability. As a matter of fact, God's peace is far more than a pleasant feeling. It is a power powerful force. This kind of peace makes you strong, not just makes you feel good. Okay, it's not the kind of peace in your hot yoga sessions, okay? That's not the kind of peace that God is giving you this morning and after. It's the kind of peace that makes you strong. It's the kind of peace that makes you stable. It's the kind of peace that makes you unmovable. This is what God has for you. He wants to root you deeply in this. I hope that motivates you. Let's look at seven practices of peace that we see here. The first is this, the practice of unifying, verse two. The practice of unifying, unifying, unifying. Verse two, Paul says, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche, agree in the Lord. I love this from the get, agree in the Lord. Not agree about your situation. Not agree in the area of your disagreement. Not come to the same conclusion as one another. No, set your priorities. Agree in the Lord. Agree because you are family in God's house. Agree because you have the same mission. Agree in the Lord because the Lord has forgiven you of all your sin. The practice of unifying will lead towards the experience of peace. And what we see from here today is that we act in unity because we live as family and because we focus on reaching our city. Our unity is in the Lord, not in a political preference, in a personality type, in a situation, in, no, 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 our agreement is in the Lord. Let me tell you something that's very hard to stay mad and bitter at someone that you're authentically worshiping God and praying with. It's really hard. Really hard to be sincerely worshiping, not fake, not for show, but sincerely from the heart, 
Going to the Lord and saying, man, Lord, you're the best. I love you so much. Thank you for dying for my sins. Oh, my gosh, I'm such a sinner. You would die for me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, make my life count, God. Use it for something. I want my life to count. Would you please reach my friends, reach my neighbors, reach this city, God. Use me. I want my life to count. In that environment, you're not going to look around and say, oh, how dare you have told that to me last week? No, there's going to be unity in the Lord. And one of my passions for this church is because I think it's one of the reasons the Lord is blessing this church is the unity in this church. A lack of bickering and arguing about unimportant things, a focus on the Lord and on his work, an agreement on the essentials and letting the non-essentials be as they need to be in their proper place. And what I know is that at the very thing that God blesses will be the very thing Satan attacks. So I say stuff like this all the time, not because we're not unified, but because we are. And because Satan sees that, and he says, if I can take that church down, I'm going to bring division. And so that's why this next point is important. Unity is everyone's responsibility. Look at Paul. He says, okay, you two agree, and I ask you, verse 3, true companion, help these women. And some commentaries even take this singular phrase to refer to the entire congregation, because he doesn't use a name. And so it's like, hey, whole church, y'all come together and help these two particular women agree. So it's not just y'all work it out, it's your problem. No, no, no. He says, y'all work it out, and hey, church, it's your problem. So I want you all to work on agreement. And so unity is everyone's responsibility. Take care of what is going on in your heart. Take care of what is going on in your relationships. Do everything we can in grace and truth to call out division and to continue to practice unity. The practice of unifying, that's number one. The number two, another practice that you can implement, and you should maybe think in your own head, who am I not currently unified with or who do I have unnecessary conflict with that I need to make right? How can I practice peace by practicing unity? The next one, the practice of rejoicing, verse four. Rejoice always, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. I love this because it is a command. It's not like, okay, when you feel like it, not like, yo, when the music's turned up, not like, no, no, no. It's rejoice in the Lord as an act of obedience, not because you feel happy. And this is a practice to say, I will choose to rejoice. And sometimes it's going to feel amazing, and I'm going to be totally a part of that experience. And sometimes it's going to be an act of faith and obedience because I feel completely disconnected but I will make it a practice to rejoice. And what we're gonna see from this is so important because in two verses we'll talk about anxiety is that rejoicing always is a preemptive attack against anxiety. That if I make it a habit to be a person who rejoices, it positions me in the arena of thankfulness and that allows me to handle my worry. But so many of us are trying to handle our anxieties and worries in the moment and trying to learn what to do with with them when they come, which you should. But what God wants to do is preempt it and say, okay, why don't you become a person who practices rejoicing so that the experience of peace when you need it in the moment you need it most is there. Make it a practice because rejoicing is a preemptive attack against anxiety. I love an aspect of rejoicing here in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Listen, if you rejoice in the Lord, you will be reasonable to people. And some of the reasons we're not reasonable or peaceable with people is because we're not full of rejoicing in the Lord. And because our cup is empty, we come over here with something to prove. We come over here feeling every slight. We come over here grabbing for every piece of attention. We come over here feeling all that. And now we're feeling all that. And because I'm not satisfied with him, I'm not thankful, now I'm fighting with you about my own identity and self-worth. And if I don't prove myself right with you, then who am I? And listen, this is so important. It's a simple verse, but this word reasonable, you know what you're not going to get when you watch the news tonight? Reasonableness. Whatever channel you watch, they're not going to get that. You know what you're not going to get when you scroll social media tonight? Reasonableness. Peaceableness. And sadly, sometimes Christians have joined the fray. But you know what we're supposed to be? It's supposed to be a breath of fresh air to talk to you. It's supposed to be a breath of fresh air to walk in this building. And say, wow, 
there's, these people are some reasonable people. <laughs> I thought Christians were crazy. And we kind of are, but also reasonable. And one of the greatest attacks against the Christian witness, I think, is the devil rising up people in Jesus' name to spend all their time arguing with people. That's what the world does. It doesn't say let your argumentativeness be known to everyone. It doesn't say let your intelligence be known to everyone. It doesn't say let your position be known to everyone. It doesn't say let your preferences be known to everyone. It doesn't say let all your experiences and the slights against you be known to everyone. No. It says let your reasonableness, your peaceableness be known to everyone. But we're a reasonable people when we're a rejoicing people. And the rejoicing has to come first. But may it be a breath of fresh air to talk to you. Make that a goal. Because when people are in the world, they're gonna get argumentiveness. But when they're with you, may they get reasonableness, peaceableness. So, the Lord is at hand, verse five. Every phrase, it matters so much. So let your enemies know the Lord is at hand. Just a simple thought here. The Lord is at hand. Why does this matter right now? Why does he throw this in there? It seems like out of nowhere. I think one of the simplest things, because he's about to talk about anxiety, is this, is that because the Lord is at hand, what you are anxious about now will not always trouble you. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Go backwards. Let your reason listen. No. Why? What you're arguing about now will not be worth it in the presence of the Lord. Let it go. The Lord is at hand. What you're anxious about will not always trouble you because Jesus is near. And he's coming soon to make all things right. And he's also present now to be with you, to see what's going on. He sees, he hears, he knows. The Lord is at hand. What you're anxious about now will not always trouble you. The Lord is near. So now here's verse six, the verse that we love in theory but don't know what to do with. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, Paul said it, which means Jesus said it, so we receive it. But if I said that to you, you'd be like, come on. You know, this is what happens. This is how you get smacked, right? When somebody shares a bunch of stuff and then you say, don't worry about it. You know? Y'all at husbands, don't try this, okay? The wife's pouring out her heart to you. It's that pillow talk, you know? And it's like 1130 and you're trying to go to sleep, but all the feelings come out at 1130, which is cool. Uh, the mind is racing, so you're listening. And imagine like you're listening to all the struggles of your spouse. Then you just look at her and say, babe, just don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Let's go to sleep, you know? Or imagine you walked in my office and you were like unloading your whole life on me and all these things that have been done to you and all your struggles. And what if I looked at you and I was like, hey, simple. Just don't worry about it. Just worry about it. Okay, we're done here. I think we're good. I think we're good. Verse six, go read verse six. Be anxious for nothing. All right, we're good, right? No, you'd be like, you are the worst pastor I've ever met in my life. And my wife would be like, you are the worst husband. Why would you talk? Don't worry about it. It can feel so dismissive. It can feel like you don't understand. It can feel like you don't care. So what is, what is God doing here? Because he says, be anxious for nothing, and he doesn't put any caveats. It's not like, in general, don't be anxious, except when you should really be worried about that. I mean, that's a big deal. You should worry about that. It doesn't say that. Be anxious about everything, except, you know, when your kid's in trouble. Then you, got, you should worry about that. It's your kid, you know. He doesn't say that. He says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. So what's going on? What do we do if we actually want to live that verse out? This seems pretty impossible, and it seems pretty dismissive, you know, flippant. Like, what? What do we do? Well, I think there's a couple things going on here. Number one, we have to remember the context. It comes from Paul, who is sitting in prison. Okay? So the guy who says, don't worry about anything, is the one that has the most to worry about, because he could potentially get his head chopped off. He's not sure yet how this is going to play out. He feels pretty confident, chapter one, that he's going to make it. But he doesn't know. He's not. He doesn't know. Okay, so he's sitting in prison writing this verse. So that should give you some oomph to it. Second thing is, he's writing it to a group of people who are experiencing persecution. So it's not just, hey, don't worry about, you know, whether this works out or not, whether you get a job or not. It's like, hey, don't worry about it if you end up like me. I want you to not be anxious that you might end up like me. And so this is really deep. This is weighty. This isn't uh, flippant, whatever. I think the second thing we need to understand, and this is true really for all your feelings, is that God, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them, God is saying, hey, it's not that you ought not to feel anxious initially, it's that you ought not to stay there. 
okay? It's not, that'll be impossible. You're human. I'm supposed to never feel anxious the rest of my life? Okay, that's ridiculous. Of course not. But when the anxiety or the worry or it begins to really press in on you, now he's going to show us, I don't want you to stay there. Now, what he's going to do, just like a good parent, this is things I'm learning, is to provide a replacement behavior, okay? So all you teachers out there and parents, you know what I'm talking about? A replacement behavior. It's not enough and usually not that helpful to just say, don't do that. Usually, you could do that, but it's not going to help them as much as if you said, well, don't do that. That's not good. Also, replace it with this, okay? Do this instead. Redirect, okay? Redirect, redirect. So that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's understanding. It's deep. It's weighty. It's not flippant. He's in prison, and then he's not just saying, hey, don't ever feel anxious. He's going to say, here's what you ought to do when you feel anxious. So when you apply these things, I want you to learn to be anxious for nothing. Okay, so that's what he's doing now. What are the replacement behaviors for anxiety and for worry? And how do I do my very best to handle these things uh, as spiritually as I can, also taking into context uh, my natural body, my biology, and some other things that might be helpful via medicine by common grace. But we're focusing now on the spiritual element of this, which I believe is still primary, even though there's lots of other things at play. So what are the replacement behaviors? The first is the practice of praying. Simple enough, the practice of praying. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, Pray. In everything, pray. In everything, pray. Here's a simple question for you. Is God your go-to? Is God your go-to? In everything, pray. Go to him. Or is it your spouse, your best friend, even your kids, whatever it may be, that, that bowl of ice cream at 10 o'clock at night, whatever. What is your go-to that helps you cope and handle your anxious feelings? And it's not to say all those things are bad. It's just to say God should be your go-to, your first one. Pray about everything. I love this in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. This isn't a, oh, get better, pray more, Christian. No, this is a, hey, God loves you. He wants to help you and hear from you. He wants to be, meet you in that place of anxiety. He wants to and be in relationship with you at that very moment so that he can bring support and encouragement and guidance. So don't leave that away. Pray. Ask God for help. He would love to bless you in that moment. And it seems to be the spiritual reality of this is that when I pray about anything, I do so so that I can be anxious for nothing. So instead of just be anxious for nothing, it's pray about everything so that you can be anxious for nothing. Prayer is not just a response in the middle of anxiety, just like rejoicing. It's a practice that preempts these things. So that as I pray about more, I find myself anxious about less. And this is true. True in my experience, true to the word of God. Here's another aspect of this. He says, make your request known to God. Make your request known to God. And, and with all things in prayer, you're always learning. God obviously doesn't need to know. He already knows. But there's this relational aspect to it. And as I begin to think more about how this is helpful, particularly with anxiety, here's something. You make your request known to God, not because God needs to be informed, but because you need to be encouraged. You see what I'm saying? God's offering himself to you and saying, if you would bring that request to me, now we're relating to one another, I can minister back to you. But if you ignore me or go to me later, the effect of what I wanted to give you won't be as strong. He's saying, it's not that God needs to be informed. You need to be encouraged. And God loves you, and he wants to encourage you in that moment. James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not. And so do you pray about everything, not as a legalist, be a good Christian type of thing, but as an opportunity to relate to your heavenly Father and to allow him to minister back to you. Pray about everything so you can be anxious for nothing. So that's the first replacement behavior. The second replacement behavior is thanksgiving. Look in verse 7. I mean, verse six, so with prayer and with thanksgiving. So prayer has this very important caveat, with thanksgiving. So it's not just make your request known to God, pray, bring him your needs and your thoughts. It's put it in the context of thanksgiving. Don't just pray as a transaction, but pray as a relationship and put your prayer life and your relationship to God in the context of thanksgiving. Psalm 95.2 says we enter into his presence with thanksgiving. This is why at every city light service you attend, the first thing we do is we give thanks. Through our singing, we give thanks. 
And we say, Lord, are we entering in with thanksgiving? This is the pathway that God has laid out to experience his presence. And sometimes when our prayer life is so transactional, we don't get the benefit of it being relational. What he wants to give you is himself. And the pathway to his presence is thanksgiving. And so make your prayers not just transactional, make them relational. Include thanksgiving with thanksgiving. Now here's where the real power comes in because this is an antidote to anxiety. And I began to think about this. What does this mean? What does thanksgiving have to do with not being anxious? How does this work? How does this play itself in my life? And what seems to be the case is this. That anxiety focuses your attention on what is around you, but thanksgiving focuses your attention on what is above you, namely God. And here's the real sentence. Anxiety sees the enemy, but thanksgiving sees the victory. Anxiety sees the enemy, but thanksgiving sees the victory. And I'll just tell you personally, though, I sat in my office with this for like an hour, and probably about 30 minutes of it, I just cried with the Lord. I was just undone. I had felt like some situations are so hopeless, you know, and I got six kids, so I have a lot to worry about. You know, I have a lot of things to worry about. And sometimes you just feel so like, ah, I'm so hopeless, and I can't manage how to do this. And I felt like the Lord was just really ministering to my heart personally, and hopefully it bypasses through me to you. We're just saying, Nate, 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 anxiety sees the enemy, but thanksgiving sees the victory. Because you feel hopeless now, but it's because you're looking at hopelessness. And if you moved where you're looking, you might start feeling different. Anxiety sees the enemy, but thanksgiving sees the victory. I don't know how many of you know this story in 2 Kings 6, where Elisha the prophet they're surrounded by the bad guys, and his, his right-hand man is so worried. Obviously, all the bad guys are surrounding them, and this is a very awesome story, and I'm going to give you a one-minute summary, but all the bad guys are there, but Elijah's not worried. He's chill. Why? Because he sees the victory, because God had opened his eyes, and instead of seeing the enemy, he saw God's army right behind them and before them and around them. And so what happens to Elisha? He sees the victory. He's able to offer thanksgiving and defeat the anxiety that happens to his buddy. As soon as his buddy gets his eyes open, then the same thing happens. Now they see the victory, and that's what God wants you to do now. And this is what I want to do. I want to I take this phrase, anxiety sees the enemy, thanksgiving sees the victory. And instead of leaving it up here in preacher land talk, I want to bring it down into your life and root it into something very strong for you, okay? So this isn't just a nice little phrase for you to remember. I hope you do remember it, but I'm going to root it. I'm going to give it roots, okay? Because what I'm not saying is there's some victory, uh, some breakthrough that's coming right now. It's all going to work out fine, okay? I don't know that. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus said in this life you will have trouble, okay? So I'm not saying that, but I am saying something very significant. I want you to see it, and I want your roots to go deep. I'm saying something better than that, as a matter of fact. So Here's it. Here's two things. Thanksgiving sees the victory of what God has already done, and Thanksgiving sees the victory of what God is able to do. Okay? So this is how it works. Uh, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. This is what God has already done. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Woo! I mean, come on. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us, that stood against you, with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Thanksgiving looks at my current problem with the perspective of my greatest problem and that the worst thing that ever faced me was the wrath of God because of my sin. It's my biggest problem, your biggest problem, humanity's biggest problem, is the wrath of God rightly comes and the judgment of God comes on sin as it should because God is just and strong and he will not let evil just get by. No, 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 no. He will judge every act of evil as we'd expect him to, but that also includes you and me. This is a big problem. And so now, this is the problem we face. Death 
and then to stand before God and be held accountable for my sins and have the wrath of God poured out on me in a place called hell forever apart from God. This is my problem. So now I look to what Jesus has done and what he has done before. So now instead of looking forward and being unsure about how this will play out, you know, whether things will get better now, they'll definitely get better later, whether they'll get better now, I look backwards and I look on something God has already done. Namely, I look at the cross that paid for all my sins and satisfied the wrath of God. And I look at the empty grave that sealed the victory of Jesus forever, and I say, thank you. And then I move that victory into my other smaller problems. You see what I'm saying? I'm looking back, and I'm saying, God, you've been for me. Here's the verse that does this transition. It moves it for you, okay? Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See what I'm saying? He who did not spare his own son then, but let him bleed and die out on a cross so that you could be saved, who gave you everything you needed to conquer sin and death, then how would he withhold something from you now? (laughs) What a verse. What a verse, what a verse. God is not withholding from you what you need. He's not. How do you know that? Because he died on the cross and rose from the grave. You have to receive that. If God did not spare his own son, then, then he will not withhold what I need. The God who left heaven to come rescue you will not abandon you now. The God who planned to save you before the foundation of the world. He will not neglect your future now. The God who has already forgiven you past, present, and future sins will not withhold his love from you now. The God who can raise from the dead is not confused or dismayed how to handle your problem now. And you root your life in this. This is why the gospel is for Christians too. And you should think about these things every day. And you should take your roots deep. And you should practice prayer and thanksgiving. So thanksgiving sees the victory of what God has already done. And by Romans 8, 38, it pick, or 8, 32, it picks it up and it moves it into my present. All things. God will graciously give all things. Thanksgiving also sees the victory of what God is able to do. Because oftentimes what anxiety and worry and depression and these things do is it puts us in the natural realm where we're just dealing with what we can see and what is able to happen there. And it pulls our faith into the natural realm. And God wants to give you faith in the supernatural realm. But your anxiety has put it down, and now you're dealing with your circumstances. You're seeing the enemy. But Thanksgiving sees the victory because God is able. And I don't know how he's going to work it out, and I don't know what it'll be like, and it certainly could possibly include more pain, and things could get worse for now. I don't know exactly what God's going to do, and I don't know exactly how he's going to play it out. But I do know that the Lord is able to do exactly it is what you need him to do. And sometimes anxiety pulls you down and it takes your faith with it. And you just start dealing with life as is instead of praying for what could be. Because you don't want to be disappointed. And I was just renewed this week to go after the Lord and to hold on to the things I want to see happen. And to grab hold of them and to keep praying and to believe that my God is able and to not settle for the circumstances as they are. God's will is God's will and he will do what is best, but I will beg for what I think I need to see happen. You see what I'm saying? Uh, Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Come on, strengthen your faith now. Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Hebrews 9, 27, he is able to save even to the uttermost. 
God is able. He is able. And the Lord brought so many of you in here now to say you can look straight at your circumstances but not be destroyed by them because God is able. It is not hopeless. It is not hopeless. It is not over. The Lord is able. So keep praying. Go after him with thanksgiving. Take the victory of the cross and the empty grave and move it into your day tomorrow, Monday morning. God is able. Don't let anxiety take away your faith. Believe, trust, pray, and let God do what seems right to him. So if we do these things, verse 7 is the outcome. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So here's the next practice, the practice of thinking. The practice of thinking. Think about what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Now here's just a quick thought on this. The little choices that you make are taking away the big peace that God wants to give. The little choices that you make are taking away the big peace God wants to give. Here's what I mean. You go onto Netflix and you say, well, it's not that bad. You choose a TV show or a podcast or a YouTube channel by saying, well, it's just a little bit. It's just one tiny scene, a big movie. It's just a little, it's just a little, it's just a little, it's just a little. And every time you do that, you are destroying the peace that God wants to make available to you. And this has probably been the thing I've been most serious about because it's the thing that's most radical in the world around us. That you would literally, 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, take captive every thought and submit it to the lordship of Jesus. And the question is not, is it just a little bit or it's not as bad as that? The question is, does it please the lordship of Jesus? And I'm serious. I'm serious. This may sound strict. If it's not true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, or worthy of praise, it is not worth your time to think about. And telling you, you are killing the, the peace of God, the peace of God that he wants to stabilize your life, but you're scrolling and you're just throwing the peace away. And it's those little things that you keep deciding to do that the devil's just said, it's okay, it's just a little bit. And it's just, it's just taking. And what you're doing, hear me, you're literally trading the peace of God. You're like, take the peace of God and give me this 10 minutes of a TV show. That's what we're doing. I'm doing that too. And I've just been so convicted to say every thought, every thought, everything that comes into my mind, everything that I allow to stay in there, everything that I put in front of my eyes, everything that I put into my ears, every thought, every thought submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Because I want the peace of God to surpass understanding in my life. As a matter of fact, I need it because I'm just going to crumble if that's not there. Don't trade the peace of God for a little bit of something else. Take captive every thought. Take captive every thought. Here's something you should think about. What occupies modifies. Whatever occupies your mind will be the very thing that modifies your feelings and your behavior. Always, 100% of the time. So if you want different outputs, behavior, feelings, if you want to experience greater levels of peace and contentment, if you want your instincts to be more on point when somebody offends you so you don't go crazy, what occupies modifies. And if the Lord Jesus and his word is occupying your mind, ooh, it will modify. As a matter of fact, it will transform who you are. But if the world and the thoughts of the world and just the news cycle of the world and the arguments of the world and the lustful pleasures of the world are occupying your mind, then they will also modify your behavior. What occupies, modifies. Let the Lord occupy your mind. Submit it to the Lordship of Jesus. And remember, once again, it's not do better. Here's the right way. It is true, but it's here's the peace of God. Like, take it. Like, take, please, take the peace of God. Give me the crap and take the peace. That's what he's offering you. It's not like, oh, Christians, you know, no, it's like, do you want the peace of God or not? 
You want to walk in the peace of God? You want to be stabilized by the peace of God? You want to be content in all circumstances? Then take care of the little things. And the Lord will bless you with these big experiences of himself. The sixth practice, the practice of learning. Verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Man, this is so good. You know, practice, we're talking about practice, remember? Practice is about learning and slowly getting better, practice by practice, day by day. And that's exactly what God is also doing in the situations of your life. But listen to me, some of you in your current situation are so focused on leaving that you haven't done any learning. You're so focused on leaving. One of my main pieces of advice to people in trials is that the goal is not to get out of the trial. The goal is to get out of it everything God wanted to give you in it. And the question is, are you joining God in what he's doing in your life right now or only praying for it to be different? You see what I'm saying? We pray for it to be different. Pray for a breakthrough. Pray for a change. Pray for supernatural deliverance. Yes and amen. God can do all those things. But don't neglect the present moment that you're in. And some of you and some of the ways we cope with trials is to be so focused on leaving that we haven't done any learning. And I think a couple things are at hand with this. Number one, I don't know exactly how the Lord works all the time in every situation. Of course not. But I wonder sometimes if he just keeps you in it until you learn what he wanted you to learn. And it's like, this doesn't have to last this long. Once again, I'm not God. I don't know. He could be doing a million different things, and he probably is. But I just had this hunch from the scriptures that if the Lord's working in it to help you learn something, the sooner you would get what he has for you, maybe the sooner he would deliver you. Maybe. Once again, I'm not making a promise, but maybe. Learning, learning. You're so focused on leaving that you haven't done any learning. These are things we teach our children all the time, but we have a hard time practicing and say, well, that's the tough situation. What did you learn from it? And Paul is saying, man, every time I've been in prison, every time I've been hit with a whip, every time I've been stoned, every time I've been ridiculed, every time I've been kicked out of a city, I've learned through all of these things how to be content. I've been practicing for this. Can you imagine Paul sitting in prison and his attitude is, I've been practicing for this. I'm ready. That's what the Lord wants for you. Okay, the last one. This is the final one, the practice of trusting. The practice of trusting. Verse 13, famous Christian verse, the Tim Tebow verse. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here's all I want you to see, the I can and through him. I want you to apply that to your current situation. I can face this situation through him. I can be content in this circumstance through him. I can deal with this diagnosis through him. I can stay single longer than I wanted to through him. I can stay in this job longer than I thought I would through him. I can handle this trouble through him. I can have the courage to do the bold thing God is asking me to do through him. I can handle what God brings my way through him. I can press on, not give up, stay with it through him. This is what God is after through all of this. It's the peace that strengthens you. It's not just a pleasant feeling. It's a powerful force. And the Lord wants to enable you to do all things through him. Here's my final word. If he calls you to it, he will carry you through it. Some of y'all need to jump out of your seat and just run around and say, yeah, that's right, man, because I've just been this whole week. I'm telling you, I'm such a free man this morning, and I was so heavy this week, and I read Philippians 4, and I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and tried to get this message ready for you, and the Lord just ministered to my heart, and he said, Nate, if I called you through it, I'll carry you through it. <laughs> man, this is so good. It's so good. It's so good. I've just been praying, honestly, on my knees, asking the Lord for supernatural deliverance and a supernatural faith that you would receive the very thing he gave me this week from this text because it's freeing and it's powerful and it really does do what God is intending it to do. Look at verse 19. Why? How? If he calls you to it, he will carry you through it. How's God going to do that? My God will supply every need of yours. How? According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours. How, God? With my riches, he says. 
My bucket's full of peace. Everything that I have, yours, I'm going to supply it to you. If he calls you to it, he will carry you through it. And maybe many of you are in a situation that you didn't call yourself to and you didn't want to be in, but the Lord is sovereign over everything. And if he called you to it right now, he will carry you through it. It may not be what you thought, it may not be what you wanted, and you may not know how to handle it. But if he called you to it, if he called you to this experience, if he called you to this trouble, if he called you to this trial, if he called you to this moment in time, if he called you to it, I make you a promise by the word of God that he will carry you through it. So therefore, verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. If he calls you to it, the Lord himself will carry you through it by his mighty hand. Be encouraged. Let your strength rise this morning. The Lord has brought you here to lift your head. I want us to see this final thought. We've been talking about practice. Practice. We're talking about practice. But the most important thing isn't your ability to practice. It's God's ability to perform. And what we see ultimately, as we've talked about, is Jesus put on the greatest game, the perfect game, the greatest performance of all time. He lived a perfect life, one you and I could never live. He died on the cross three days later. He rose again from the dead. And now he says, if anybody would believe and trust in me, that person would have eternal life. The goal is not for you to get better at practice. It's to rest more in his performance to let the performance of God, the strength of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God be the very things that drive your life and that strengthen you to work hard and put in the practice. So go and practice the practice of peace, but let the Lord's performance be what you rest in this week. Okay, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. Oh, we thank you for this word. You're so good. How could it be? How could it be that you would supply these things to sinners like us? So we just say thank you. And I just pray, Lord, as I've been praying all week, God, just for a, a supernatural receiving of these truths, Lord, not like a, oh, that's nice, see you later. Just right now, God, would you minister to their hearts the way you ministered to mine, God? Would you provide strength and hope where there's hopelessness, God? Give encouragement. Guard hearts and minds, Lord, with the peace of Jesus, God. I pray that there would be a supernatural experience of your peace in the room this morning as we respond to you and then as we follow you from this place into the world. Oh, God, don't let us leave the peace of God on the table this week. Lord, may your people be defined by this, strengthened by this. We love you, we honor you, we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand, let's respond to the Lord.